Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. And you know what? I just want to congratulate you on your whiff diff uh, win in freestyle with Ryan Young, the just completed whiff diff. So congratulations, my friend. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's, uh, I, I have to say that Ryan really carried the team. I think I did one nice combo my first chance and then... I don't know. I was struggling a little bit. So I realized that um, and then just started setting to him over and over and he caught everything. So Ryan's amazing. That's always nice to kind of recognize in the moment that, you know, gosh, I'm not quite feeling it, but my partner is really on. So feed the partner, right? Yeah. And so it was also kind of cool for us to win because we didn't really expect to win. We had heard rumors that Paul and Daniel were going to do their world's routine and they didn't do it in the previous round so we figured they were just going to destroy us because they had full choreography and whatnot so to pull it out was pretty cool it was pretty special yeah i got to actually watch it live on the live stream and i saw both of your routines and i knew it was going to be close because they had so much more content but you guys you know had a better x and maybe a higher diff but yeah i knew it was going to be close so another kind of cool thing that happened was um with diff uh, Rob McLeod from with diff and, um, another guy, Jake, who was doing all the filming, they helped syndicate our live stream onto the with diff Facebook page and onto the Frisbee Rob Facebook page. So we got a whole lot of audience that we usually don't have for freestyle live streaming. So that was super cool too. So thanks to them. That's great. And I don't think people realize just how many people are watching the live stream. You know, when you look online, you see Twitch or whatever, and it says 14 viewers. There are so many more people that are watching the live stream through lots of different other channels. So we can see from our Google Analytics that there was over 500 people uh, and page views to that specific page. So speaking of WIFT, if that's a perfect segue into this episode. So we're going to continue our conversation with Khan and pick up where we asked him about the 1989 WIF diff where he and Adrian won. So let's listen. So what? let's talk a little bit more about that WIF diff championship. So can you talk about um, who was your partner and what did you guys do to train and just what, what led, led you to that win? Well, just to backtrack a little bit, in 88, we went out to Santa Barbara, met in Santa Barbara and um, went there to basically to be around a competition we were sort of thinking well shall we enter shall we not enter we weren't really sure if we were good enough we thought well we might enter and some we kind of looked at the competition and thought oh maybe we maybe we won't enter and then somebody had talked us into it by sponsoring us i think we had to wear some t-shirts or something like that and um we had really sponged out like badly <laughs> um it wasn't it wasn't that bad i we'd done a couple of really good moves but we didn't have a really proper routine. We hadn't practiced like a routine or anything. Uh, we were still going off that um, the ethos of go out there, do the most heinous, difficult stuff you can possibly do, and if you deserve to win, you'll win. But um, you know, everybody else was doing like uh, 
you know, routines and Coloradical-y type stuff. And so we didn't get out of the prelims of that competition. Um, you can see it on online. It's a, you know, there are some really neat moves that we both do, but we kind of threw the disc away. And there's a really funny bit where um, I throw the disc into the crowd and Adrian just runs over it. And he, so, <laughs> he throws his arms in the air like a presentation. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen that video. We'll have to put a link into it when we post this episode. Uh, it's the only video I've ever seen of you, Con. I haven't seen much uh, stuff on tape about you. Yeah, I think Scott Starr's probably got some, but um, he's probably got heaps of um, stuff. He'd have to rifle through them all to find some. Anyway, so having done so badly uh, there, we decided when we heard that the Whiftiff thing was coming back to um, coming to England, we thought, right, we've got to really buckle down because these guys are going to come over from the States and, you know, we've got to, this is our home ground and we'll, we'll get a re- really good routine together and whatever. So we did practice quite hard um, for that. Um, again, you know, through the winter or whatever and in some questionable parks, we went to this park called Dogshit Park when um, Adrian was living, I think he was living in Putney. And we had to go to this park which was close to his house, but it was just covered in dog shit everywhere. And you'd have to like, you know, tippy toe, oh. <laughs> double, <laughs> double spinning, double spinning catches right next to a big toe. Uh, yeah, and you're not doing not any nice ground enough. moves, right? You're not doing somersaults. No way. No way. <laughs> But I think we found a different park there. We found a park. We, we dubbed Hain Park, which had a nicer wind. It was a big open sort of area and a nice wind. And there was also a gymnasium there that we could, um, uh, like an indoor hall that we hired for the winter as well, where we played there. And we worked pretty hard on our, our routine there. So it was a lot of preparation for that. And, uh, so in the in terms of your routine choreography, what was the strategy? Was it just hard move, hard move, hard move? Was it uh, choreography to the music? Did you guys have any particular thing in mind? Uh, I can't remember the music that we played to, but I do remember that we did a lot of uh, passing to each other, um, a lot of center delay work, a lot of um, like double spinning um, catches. I wasn't going for triple spins. I think I did one triple spin catch in there, but it was mostly difficulty. It wasn't just kind of uh, presentation, if you know what I mean. Like we had this, we had this ethos that you know, if you wanted, if you wanted to do well in a competition and you wanted to prove that you were a better player than the next guy, it had to be. It had to be, so I'm just looking at my family creeping around the flat, <laughs> trying not to make a noise. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, and so, so we, you know, it had to be, uh, you had to prove that you were, a, you know, you were playing on a different level. So it was all about difficulty mostly. We didn't like, I never liked seeing people in competition watering down what they could do. For me, it's a very opinionated uh, statement, but for me, it's like a, almost like a waste of time. I can appreciate that um, time and effort goes into making those routines smooth, but um, and especially at that time, we were young and brash and whatever. It was all about you know who can do the most hain, intense, fantastic jaw-dropping movements, and that's how you prove that you were a 
a really good player. But don't you think that's a byproduct of the judging system that people watered it down because that was what you had to do to win? I think it's a byproduct of being judged altogether. Like it's not so much the judging system. It's the fact that, that if you're judged badly for dropping a disc, then you will do whatever you can not to drop that disc. And if it means doing one spin instead of three, that's what you do. So it's mostly about just being judged. And, and that's sort of the problem really with competitions is that you're being judged on something which is by definition supposed to be free and, and sort of all out really. So there's not a great deal of room for spontaneity there. And I mean, look, I've been out of the game for 20 years, so I don't know. Things might have changed. Judging might have changed. The whole um, way that people look at um, how you play. Now, they might get award points for spontaneity, but I don't know if that, that goes on. But it certainly didn't in, in those days. I'm more of referring to your uh, reference to watering it down, because that still happens. And I think that is a result of it's not only just being judged, but what's rewarded. You know, that, that same concept is happening now of watering down play in competition. Yeah. If you look at Jensen Owen in that, that early promotional video, they didn't really look like they were watering it down because that was the state of the art at that time, the stuff that they were doing. And it was right. exciting to watch, you know. Um, and if people are doing stuff that's a state of the art – you can sort of see it immediately. It is living on the edge, and it is exciting to watch. I mean, the other thing is, right, is if you if you do something that's difficult, I look at the way that I judge a freestyle frisbee is I look at it and go, well, how long did it take that guy to learn how to do that? If somebody did a combo like a, you know, set the disc up and do a double spinning a triple fake guide hold and set it up and do another double spinning guitus catch, but instead of catching with their hand, they catch it with their mouth or something, do you know what I mean? <laughs> In the guitus. And then uh, to me, that would take six months of your time to get down so that you could do it in a competition. That is much more worthy to me than somebody doing a the to someone else's hoop to someone else's behind the back catch. No matter how smooth it is, it, it's more meaningful to do something which is takes more time to learn. That's that's where that's where the quality for me is. That's really interesting. What do you think about that, Jake? Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. I hadn't haven't thought too much about how long it takes to learn something. I guess there's a counter a counter perspective, which maybe is the more of the artistic side, like. Uh, how creative was it to put together the moves that you put together in the order that you put them together with the music that you used and how well did you present it? And maybe the time that you put in was the practice time. I don't know. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not not necessarily just about the individual movement. It could be about the whole piece and it could be more of an artistic perspective. Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, when I played with Claudio and Fabrizio, we did the whole thing, two costumes, uh, sorry, uh, to music with costumes and had a whole story about uh, pollution overcoming the earth and, you know, good winning in the end and all that sort of thing. So I kind of understand what you're talking about with a routine that has a theme and, um, you know, a, a proper presentation. And in fact, presentation, like good extension in your moves and your, your, your limbs and whatever, adds 
a level of difficulty, but does it really add much more difficulty than doing something that is um, intensely difficult? Do you know what I mean? Just because I know how hard it is to do certain moves. If somebody came out and did those moves, I'd just think, wow, you put a lot of time and effort into it. And that's what it's about for me is the time and the effort that someone puts into something. I think that nobody else can do that. Nobody else, or, or it would take someone so much longer to be able to do that than to do a flowing routine with lots of nice, pretty moves, really well presented. But, you know, you could probably get that together in about three, three weeks to a month, whereas it could take you three months just to get one combination down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I see that. It's an interesting perspective. That actually really resonates with me. I kind of get that because I love that artistic part. And I, I think it's more than just, you know, putting a theme together for the artistic thing. I think you can really dive deep into choreography and have it be that same difficulty. Like, wow, that must have taken a lot of time to get that coordination and choreography and timing down. But I mm. love that idea of, you know, like, I think you could have done that in a couple of days. And somebody who can do a move that you like, oh, wow, that took some time commitment. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it like that. And uh, that, that resonates with me. And that's not really to take away from, you know, I, uh, I actually like watching some of those um, routines that, you know, as I'm saying, uh, that, you know, th it is nicely presented and it does present the sport in a, in a really good light. Um, but in terms of, do I think this person is a better player than somebody who does something you know, incredibly difficult? Probably not. Because uh, I know that the best freestyle I've seen are in jams, for sure. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another, that's also an interesting thing about the judging. Just having, like you were saying, just having a judging system places a set of rules which kind of limits what you do when you go out onto the field. So if the judging system is uh, trying to measure your drops or trying to measure how artistic you are, then people are going to naturally put that in because they want to excel at the judging system. And like you're saying, it's such an art form. It's really hard to judge it and figure out who is the best. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's it's like judging any art really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Judging any art um, is a, is a little bit flawed because it is subjective and it is, you know, the eye of the beholder sort of thing. Yeah. So why do we have these competitions? Damn it. Well, but yeah. <laughs> why bother? Because it gets us all together so we can jam and have our jamily yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. We were talking to Stork and Stork brought that up. It's like, you know, when you just go out there and we pay, play pickup or whatever, ultimate, you know, it's different when there's something on the line. So it's different than when you're just out there jamming. Like if everybody just got got together for pickup ultimate, it's like it doesn't ha carry the same weight than when you're actually in a game and counting points. And that translates yeah. to freestyle too. So it's yeah. kind of this weird dance. Like we love to kind of be put into that space and challenge ourselves, but it also doesn't really it doesn't give you the true um, skill level what people can do under that uh, environment. Yeah, it's funny actually. Uh, I was thinking about whether you're in the competition or not in the competition. Being around people, being competitive, I think is a it lifts your game. I remember going when we went when we went to Santa Barbara in '88 and we got knocked out in the prelims. I think the day, that day and the day after. I played um, some of the best free. I was doing like five spinning catches because, well, one, the wind was there 
and two, I had a point to prove because I got knocked out in the prelims. But I was just like going for it, man. And I think it's really good to, um, you know, to have that sort of level of competition there so that it gives you, you, you just put more effort into what you're doing. So it is healthy, but it's, it is slightly flawed at the same time. I suppose that's just the, that's just the nebulous nature of you know, being. <laughs> it's, it's the catch-22. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, let me see. Oh, yeah, sponge. I just thought you guys might be interested to know how the word sponge came around. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. <laughs> So it was a, a day in Holland Park, and it's not like a really long story or anything, but it's a, it's I suppose it's a piece of history. There's a day in Holland Park, and uh, this woman walked by, a very unfortunate-looking woman in a bit of a state. Um, she was either drunk or something like that. And uh, I think she made eyes at Adrian. So Adrian, Jason, and I are standing around playing with her, and she made eyes at Adrian. She said something to him, which was a sort of like hitting on him kind of comment. And um, she she looked in an awful state anyway. And so Jason turned around, and I, I don't think he quite got the words out that he wanted to get out, but it kind of came out, oh, man, that's bonk. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was so descriptive um, that uh, we just took it on, and everything that was derogatory became spont after that. Um, wow. And that's how we got our, our team name, the Sponge Irrationals. So wait, that's where the term sponge originated from? Was that that incident? Yeah. That's right. That's oh exactly God. when it was. And it's so funny because I use that word outside of the freestyle realm, and it still fits. It's know, catchy, it's like, isn't it? Yeah, people yeah, know. Like yeah. Say, oh, that, right, that's sponge, and they're like, oh, yeah, that does fit. People think it's French, I think, a lot of the time. It does sound French. La sponge. La sponge. <laughs> Omelette douze de sponge. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Donnie and, Donnie and Camilla. The first time I met Donnie, I was living in um, Rotterdam for about uh, six months with my girlfriend, and I got an offer to come back and do a show uh, in England because there was a – I think it was an ultimate championship – in Colchester University, and I um, I got this offer to, I think it was like $250 or something, like, oh, 50 pounds, and I made my way back from uh, Rotterdam, and when I got there, the tournament organizer had said to me, oh, um, you've turned up, and I said, well, yeah, because you invited me, and I said, yes, and we agreed. And Donnie and Camilla were there, and they um, they had been hired. That money had gone to them to do their show, um, which was a bit unfortunate. I was a bit upset about it, but um, but so I went to talk to them, and I had a had a jam with them, and was suitably impressed. I've got to say, I mean, their show was was amazing. Um, and I said, look, you know, this has happened. I've come all the way from such and such, and they said, look, man, I'm really sorry, but we've got. Um, you know, we've got our routine that we've worked on and blah, blah, blah. And I went, yeah, okay, fair enough. That is fair enough. To, you know, it, it would be stupid to have a third person in there kind of messing things up. But I had a really good jam with them. And it was the first time I'd actually met Donnie Rhodes after hearing all these sort of things about him. And, um, yeah, he was uh, everything 
people said he was. He had this amazing extension and difficulty at the same time. Wow. I would have loved to have been able to see that jam between Donnie and Khan. I mean, neither one of them had seen each other. There was no YouTube. There was no social media. Gosh, the two of them going at it for the first time and probably just blowing each other's minds uh, as they were enjoying that initial jam with each other. I could just imagine them sizing each other up. You know, Donnie does something kind of easy. And then, and then Khan is like, well, I could do a little bit better than that. And then Donnie's like, what? I could do better than that. And they just escalate and they're like, oh, this guy's for real. Wow. That would be really cool. Khan had heard of Donnie. But I wonder if Donnie had really heard of Khan and how much expectation he had going into that. Yeah, you know, another thing that I found really interesting uh, in that conversation with Khan is his concept or his idea of difficulty and how he views it. You know, he thinks things, he thinks difficulty in the terms of like, how long does it take you to perfect something? So he looks at us like, wow, that is an amazing move, super hard, because that must have taken three months to do as opposed to, you know, that's something that you could have put together in a couple weeks. And that resonated with me because I kind of get that, you know, when you're putting together routines, you can put something together pretty quick within a couple days. Um, You know, you just kind of stay in your wheelhouse and you can make it look really good. But is it super difficult? Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about it in terms of um, two people working together. But I think really intricate co-ops takes a lot longer than just putting together a couple of easier co-ops where you have the the one or two big moments, you could really make some like completely consecutive, difficult, uh, just mind blowing co-ops, probably things that people wouldn't even, they'd look at it and they wouldn't even get how hard it was. Having more time to really work on something could, uh, could change that, the intricacy level and the consecutivity level of co-ops. No doubt, no doubt in my mind. I mean, that's why I was sort of saying like, you know, you could put something together individually super difficult that you could work months on, but it's just, you don't have that time with a, with your partners. So let me ask you this question about there are certain moves that are really highly regarded, like, um, like the guidance catch. Uh, and people get a lot of diff points for that. And I would say even a planted guidance, you probably get more diff points for that. But in terms of the amount of time it takes to learn, probably not that much compared to something like a chest roll. To really get a chest roll that's buttery smooth, that touches from fingertip to fingertip all the way across your chest, and to be able to set it exactly where you need to go into the next move, that takes years, potentially decades, to master that. But I don't think it gets the same level of respect when you watch a routine, when routines are watched and judged, you know what I mean? So listening to how Khan thinks about things kind of made me think about what do we really want to value watching people play? And uh, and kind of just made me respect certain things a little bit more than maybe I had in the past. Yeah. So, Well, I've always thought that the guidus was overrated in how much attention that it gets. And that's why I kind of, you know, poo-poo it a little bit. I think it's a great catch. And I also think that it does give like, oh, somebody does a guidus and they get a six. Well, somebody could do, like you say, a nice smooth roll to a spin to a flawed. That might get the same number is just a guidance catch. So, you know, like what do we value when, like you say, it may not really be that hard to, you can guide us pretty quick mm-hmm. out of the gate. I, I always, I always feel, you know, by us doing this podcast, we put ourselves out there. So I always feel like people think that I don't think guidance is, is a valid catch. And that's not uh, my, my opposition to it at all. It's about that. I think it gets too much credibility in the judging system. 
you know, we should have a podcast where we just talk about what things we think are overrated and what things we think are underrated. Maybe we can get a guest on to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Oh, my God, that would go on for hours. That could go on for hours, totally. <laughs> um, but So my favorite moments in watching you jam are when you catch a guidus because it's like, what the hell? Randy doesn't do that. And you actually do a really pretty one. I guess that uh, it has been captured on video, so I can no longer say that I don't guidus. Yep. You just abstain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, hey, you know, um, again, I just want to... Big congrats to your Whiff Diff victory, you and Ryan. That was awesome. And uh, on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, shooting the frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee. Oh, yeah!